Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, Bobby. Here we are. We are with our ninth interview guest, Phil Morini. Phil reached out to us, like many of you can and do, at info at com. Phil asked a couple of questions. We ended up having a career discussion, a little conversation about a move that Phil was uh, taking on with his team, and we built a good relationship. We've been talking to Phil almost for six months now, and he's helped us. We've helped him, and uh, we decided we wanted to have him on the show so he could share some of his thoughts and journeys with you guys, the Texel Show listeners. So welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks so much. Really looking forward to, to chatting with you guys tonight. And uh, don't worry about it. It's Maroney, but people butcher that one all the time. And uh, good to go on that. So happy to be here and chat with you guys. Great. It won't be the last time I screw it up for sure. And Brian will probably mess it up 10 times. That's so right. That's right. I won't be near as many as him. So, Phil, we've we've had a number of guests. We've had other uh, established good tech sales reps. That's what category we'd put you in. We've had customers. We've had partners. Uh, we've had leaders inside of partners. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work today, and and maybe how you got into tech sales originally, uh, and then we'll dive into some Q and A. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so today I work at SHI International Corporation. Uh, for those that don't know, SHI is a $10 billion value-added reseller and services provider. Um, been working with SHI for about six years, just actually hit my sixth year in the beginning of July. And man, getting into the industry, it's such a weird thing. I, I think in 2011, I graduated from college and there weren't too many jobs available. And I said, well, I don't want to move back home. I've been on my own since I was about 18 and got to figure out something next and landed a job as a contractor at Lenovo, the computer manufacturer. Did a lot of fun things there. Um, was an inside sales rep, mainly cold calling over the phone and, you know, pounding the phone for $300, a day, something like that. Covered a huge territory by myself for a while. And lo and behold, a, a buddy of mine that I ended up working with uh, from a competitor, uh, who's in the, now a competitor, excuse me, he went over to a different company and said, hey, you should check out this company, SHI. They're looking to hire guys in the field. And I said, why not? So I tossed my name in a resume stack and uh, haven't looked back since after getting that job which is really, really cool, especially since when I started, I think we were about a $4 billion organization. And last year, just eclipsed in $10 billion was uh, was pretty remarkable for us. Yeah, the growth at SHI has been incredible. And we talk to guests and, and folks all the time about kind of their first job in tech sales and, you know, pounding the phones and, and making it happen in a big territory is such a big character building exercise. So, uh, I guess, how did you get into Lenovo to take a step back? And what do you think that early experience the phones in a very large territory did for you from a career perspective? Yeah, so, man, how did I get there? Oh, yeah. Um, a really good buddy of mine who had graduated a year before me 
had also kind of found that same path that I was on and, and we were real good friends, still are great friends to this day. And he said, Hey, we're hiring people and you have this chance to be converted from a 1099 to a full-time employee after a certain amount of time. And so I was in between things and um, ended up flying home from New Jersey down to North Carolina uh, out in Raleigh where I was living previously to this and got an interview and set it up and went from there. I think answering your other question, uh, just to make sure I understood that it was more about what the the large territory really did for my yeah. my growth or my development. Yeah, I mean, like I think we all look back on our first job in tech sales, and it's obviously not the job, the same job we have today. It can be somewhat tactical in nature, and it's it's heavy volumes, and it's talking to a ton of people on the phone, and uh, getting a lot of at bats. That's how it was for me um, early on. I had a really big territory, like just full of prospects. I really had no customers that were actively buying anything. It was just kind of building a territory. And I, I think all the at-bats for me were great experience to kind of um, get, you know, the at-bats helped me mess things up and to do things right and to kind of improve my batting average over time. That was the benefit of me for a bigger territory. I don't know if you had any, any learnings from your Lenovo days that you still care, you still think about and you carry forward today. Oh yeah, I've got probably too many to uh, fit into this podcast episode, but I think, uh, yeah, I managed, I I believe it was 384, 386. I always mess that number up, but 300 some odd customers um, from the inside, meaning I I didn't have any field rep. Um, It got me, you know, first and foremost comfortable and just picking up the phone and starting to understand how to cold call and that something that that I preach, you know, pretty consistently these days is that, you know, most of our lives are based upon interruption. So what I mean by that is if if I'm picking up the phone and cold calling a guy, I say, look, I know I'm interrupting, but I want two minutes of your time just to tell you who I am, why I want to meet with you. And then maybe we can set a next meeting if you decide it's relevant. Um, I've really kind of taken the whole interruption phase from just hammering the phones and trying to get people on the line and build relationship over the phone. It's something that I carry with me to this day. And I think one of the other big things is um, you can do a lot of business over the phone and never meet people in person. But the fun part, especially for me and what I love to do is to to interact with my customers and clients on a day-to-day basis, if I can in person. Yeah, mine. Yeah, mine was was certainly very much that that uh, that way too. I, you know, when you have that three hundred accounts, like, how did you? Well, I guess I guess two things. Like to take a step back uh, for those that are looking for their first break into IT, we have a lot of listeners that are like looking to get into technology sales. It we hear that it is a lot about that first relationship. So you had a buddy that that knew of a a job that was out there and available. And that's really the goal of tech sales lab. So for those of you that are listening, that are looking to get into tech sales, check out the work that the guys are doing at tech sales lab. Um, but secondly, with that list of 286 customers or 284 customers, like it's like an exercise in, in prioritization, like who do you call first? And um, so many people are afraid of just prospecting in general. They're nervous about it. They're nervous about picking up the phone, man. When you have 300 accounts and you got no sales happening, uh, it's time to make it happen. And that was, that was a great experience for me early on. Yeah. Now I echo that. And, uh, the, I, I should mention, I kind of failed to, to say this previously is that 
once I was converted from uh, being a 1099 to a full-time employee, I actually was put on a brand new team that was strictly focused on the state and local vertical uh, for Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. So being in the public sector and, and really kind of understanding that a lot of these companies or these institutions, they publish what their budgets are, you know, what their initiatives are, how they buy things online, um, which, which leads me to, to get into probably one of my most favorite topics is to look at what data is available before you make a cold call. So I did a lot of research. Um, I did a lot of account planning and account mapping and did activity in between certain things, but I was calling on places where, hey, these guys are getting grants or they're getting money from the state and somehow way, shape or form to improve technology. That's a need that they are openly stating. So I'm probably going to hit those people first, see what I can drum up. And that's, that's how I started was really just understanding what the, what the overall landscape was and going from there. So we talked a little bit, you've said a couple of things I want to address. So cold calling, um, Phil, you're a younger guy in IT, younger than me and Brian for sure. You, I think a lot of people nowadays just text or email. Do you, is the phone not dead? And I'm being a little facetious, but how active do you think a rep, a frontline account executive today, selling to commercial business or, or even state and local government, how much do they spend on the phone versus text and email? I think eventually we start to tilt toward – texting, emailing calls when necessary, either via text or something. But, um, you know, I, I do not believe the phone is dead whatsoever. And for anyone starting in the industry, the thing that it can do is just help you get comfortable in making that first dial or having that completely cold interaction because you're going to have it in one way, shape, or form or another, whether it's you stopping by a client's office and you actually do get to meet that person if you had stated that you were going to be in the area um, but realistically, at the, at the very least, it allows you to practice a value proposition to a customer and to refine your own tactics and how you're approaching people and figuring out what doesn't work versus what does. Yeah, and I think a real key thing you said there, you're, you're, when you're researching the prospect ahead of time, if you're spending even five minutes online learning what their priorities and goals are, and you're hypothesizing how you may be able to help solve a problem or an issue or a challenge they've got coming up. Even if you're wrong, they appreciate you did, that you did the work. You're not just calling and asking for 30 minutes. They appreciate that you've taken the time to understand their business just that much more to have a relevant conversation. Yeah, I mean, and and that's I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed over the past, you know, call it year, two years is you know, if you just straight hit someone with what your value is before understanding if they even need that value, you're not doing yourself any favor because you're not coming at it from a place of let me understand what's happening in your business based off of what I know about you. And let's see if a business relationship could make sense for me to help you. Um, you know, even earlier this afternoon, I was on the phone with a rep uh, brand new at SHI about a week and a half, two weeks in, just came out of new hire training with me and he said, yeah, I found this guy. He's got, you know, preparing for the California Consumer Protection Act, I, I think is the name of it, um, in his LinkedIn title. And, you know, the, the rep and I were talking and he asked, you know, what do you think I should say from an email perspective to try and get this guy to respond? And I said, well, what do you think you should say? And he said, well, you know, SHI does this, that and the other. And I said, 
is that really going to land with him versus trying to understand his needs and saying, hey, you're doing this and you're advertising that you're doing it. You're clearly maybe a thought leader in the space, um, would love to understand more about how you have you know, prepped not only your team, but the overall business to go tackle such an initiative and would love to understand how you've done that and where you need partners or where you rely on partners or manufacturers to help you get there and move that needle. So long-winded answer there, but I mean, I think trying to do your research ahead of time and understanding the subject or the person that you're trying to reach out to is such a key part of it that so many people miss out on because they just start blindly picking up the phone and dialing versus having any kind of context behind who they're reaching out to. And a lot of the times I find that not so much anymore because I think I've been doing a good job with training some of our new hires. Uh, A lot of the time reps don't even go to their customers or prospects websites and read what they do. And that's, that's an obvious no now. For sure. And most don't know if they're making money. Most don't know what their 10 K says, if they're public and it's not too difficult to find out a little bit of information. The other thing was when you both, were inside or you had like these big territories. I, I didn't quite have that experience. I kind of worked for a value at a reseller from the beginning, but was supporting a large number of smaller businesses. So I had lots of at bats. Both of you mentioned a couple times during this episode that you, you just picked up the phone and called people and you built relationships, you know, today too often. I don't, I don't think people, I think people are trying to find just the low hanging fruit and they miss the opportunity to really solve problems for customers and prospects. Just recently, I went to talk to a group that was asking for some help around sales, and one of the reps said, well, I put this guy in, into our system and answered some of our questions, and he only scored a 125, which said he wasn't worth my time, but I think I should have called him. What would you do in that situation? And I said, well, I probably would call the guy. I don't think I'd let data analytics alone tell me whether or not I should call, but I think a lot of newer, younger people that are growing up in this stage of this stage of analytics and BI, they're they're letting the data make the decisions. And I think we learned how to just listen for pain and then create pain chains to solve for that and 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 fix people's problems. Phil, I guess the question to you is what do you see as the mistake that these newer reps are making, not necessarily in am I going to call them or not, but just the decision thought process around trying to help a customer. What's some big mistakes you see new reps making around trying to help customers, whether it's pitching SHI or pitching a product. What do you think that mistake is that new reps are making? Yeah, I think the number one thing that I see is I call it, I guess, you know, the pounce and vomit who, uh, there's a, a, a really awesome lady that I work with who dynamite sales rep and she kind of coined that phrase, but essentially if you're able to, to talk to a customer and they are so candid to, you know, open up and tell you about their initiatives and what they're doing. Well, a lot of the time I see reps fail by just pouncing on the first thing that they see as an opportunity versus letting the conversation naturally evolve and you listen and you start to understand not only that opportunity, but, there's probably some additional opportunities there that might be bigger or more important to your, your customer or your prospect. And what you thought was the initial opportunity might not be it where you can add a true level of value or service or a product. Um, and quite frankly, just come off more professional because you're listening to a full conversation versus interrupting in a fashion that makes it appear that you are not listening intently. 
It also smells like desperation too. I, I think we've all been on the phone when an account executive uh, tries to tackle immediately and smothers the prospects into um, you know the first thing that they hear. They're jumping on it, just desperate for an opportunity. And I think that certainly turns off a, a prospect too. Um, Phil, like, how do you you know you've you've made the you made the transition to SHI. Um, you're successful as an account executive at SHI. And you've taken on uh, kind of a new hybrid role. Why don't you tell us about the role that you're doing today? Yeah, so the transition for me actually came pretty quickly. Um, one thing that SHI does very well is uh, we are we are agile and we adapt to the market, um, not only in terms of our offerings to our clients, uh, but more so where people want to develop. And you know, we we operate in a people first approach from a company perspective and. Um, I was actually selected by uh, my senior leadership to kind of jump into this role, which is essentially a player coach role. So I still manage two active customers today. Um, They are really great clients, love working with them. Um, But it also, on the other half of the coin, what I do is spend time uh, training and developing and enabling our newer reps, our kind of our mid-tier reps, and, you know, even the guys that have been doing this eight, nine, 10 years uh, that want additional training or additional help. So it's been really fun and uh, quite challenging, but it's been an awesome time mainly because I get to, quite frankly, steal a lot of best practices from other reps that I get to talk to throughout the organization. uh, And I get to see an impact to help people achieve their goals faster, whether they are financially motivated or service oriented, whatever that is. I get to share my real life experiences and I, I, it really comes off a lot more uh, relevant when you have someone who's doing the job, who's also doing the training. And that's probably been some of the more fun aspects of it. So Phil, when you talk to maybe a senior person or maybe somebody that's brand new, I know you're passionate about selling. How do you view selling and how do you tell them or teach them how they should think about the art of selling? So it varies by individual, obviously, as most things do. But um, my personal philosophy, and this is something I'm, I'm adamant about, and one of the uh, the books that I would highly encourage uh, anyone on the listenership to give a read is uh, Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. And I went through that book and did this exercise that he recommends. And you know, I really found out that the core tenets of who I am as a person and my character I really enjoy helping people. And that's really, in essence, what sales is, is you are helping someone in some way, shape, or form, whether it's making a transaction easier or whether it's solving a very complex and nuanced business problem through technology, you're still helping. And the way that I view selling is if I'm in this altruistically to be able to help my customers and that they understand that the values that I present in running projects or running an account, um, be it you know a big project or a teeny little one, I care about customer service and I care about solving the need with the right technology for the right implementation of moving something in the right direction for that customer. So realistically, I think too often, no matter what kind of a rep you are, we, we focus on how do we fit this square peg into this round hole when that might not be the best use of your time or the best product for said customer. Um, 
So realistically, my, my selling strategies really come down to being very intentional on the questions that I ask and how I help and what actually would be deemed worthy of help and would move the needle for my customer. And then if there's technology that comes behind that, that's a result of a sale, that's just a consequence of me doing my job and helping someone. Yeah. I, you know, I think in the old school days of sales, it was all about, um, it, it was really very money focused, like very outcome focused on cash and commissions. And I think the new, certainly the new uh, generation of sales folks that are, that we're hiring today and that are new in the field today, it really is a much different conversation. Bobby, I feel like it's, this is probably the third, uh, interview in a row where we've had this conversation about the why and the importance of the why. And I think so many folks um, are looking for solving their passion. And while knowing what your passions are and having a plan around how do you fulfill those things, uh, sometimes it's sometimes that's the wrong thing to go after. And sometimes it's being fulfilled. And while not everyone has the right to be fulfilled, um, that's certainly something that's aspirational. And if you can find that in your workplace, that can be a really valuable thing. How do you, as you, you know, new sales reps come on, Phil, have you seen any sort of shift in, in how they feel fulfilled? Are you seeing it with like charity work or like, how do you, how, how are you seeing it with new hires that are coming into the market today? Yeah. So that, that's a great question. And I love it because it's something that we often don't talk about. And, and there's, I think, a slight nuance to my answer here. And I, I think it's not so much fulfillment. Um, from our standpoint, is especially when bringing on a new rep, we, we have a lot of competitive people. And you know, as sales organizations go, everyone's super competitive. And what we try to emphasize are what do wins look like in your first 90 days? What does that mean? How do it's, it's not one thing to expect, Hey, I'm going to go close a massive deal right out the gates. That's pretty unrealistic. Sure. It happens, but realistically you should be celebrating landing a prospecting meeting or, you know, I got the guy to respond to my cold email that he doesn't want to be a shadow anymore, or she doesn't want to be a shadow anymore. I feel good about the prep work that I've done for this meeting to achieve a positive outcome. So I think a lot of it, it comes down to what is our sense of accomplishment actually translate to versus a sense of fulfillment. There's other areas in life you can get fulfillment in. And personally, uh, streaking straight personally, I, I do try and separate the two to a certain extent because I've always been a person to believe that I never wanted anything to corrupt some of those things that bring me fulfillment, which, you know, everyone knows uh, it's, it's a possibility in terms of the life we lead as sales individuals. So Phil, you mentioned right before that, that sales at some point to some people was, you know, putting a square peg into a round hole. I think I often hear that and see that just last week, as people listen to this episode, we, we did an episode on customers don't want to buy your products. And many mentoring conversations that I have, people want to talk about how do they get the customer to do something that doesn't really solve their problem. And and that's the exact opposite of how we should act as salespeople. You know, your, your storyline around just helping solve the problem and if technology follows that, then you're going to be successful. It truly is the right way to think about things. Uh, 
and it's good to know there's there's a lot of smart sellers out there. Uh, maybe we don't get to talk to them all the day, all the days, but it truly is the way you should approach your customers. People don't want to buy what you're selling. They want you to help them solve problems. So uh, that's good to hear. Out of all the things you're doing, how do you decide where to spend your time across your your current role as as a as a player selling to to customers, and then your stretch assignments of teaching new reps and helping uh, reps that want your help? Surely you're being pulled in multiple directions. Yes, I would say. I, the, the the running joke when, in, with my wife is that everyone is a customer at some point in my day, uh, be it an internal you know employee that I'm helping or one of my actual customers or anything. So uh, it it varies week to week, to be honest with you. But the thing that I always try and do is never leave the week without an understanding of what my next week looks like. And if I don't have things booked up, I need to be intentional about how I'm going to go into that next week to set up success. Um, I think I've heard you guys talk about it with, you know, winning a day, then winning a week, winning a month. There are certain elements of this job that we can control, whether you are working for a manufacturer or doing pharma sales or whatever it is, doing the preparation in terms of what your week should look like or what you'd like it to look like, I think is a big exercise in my personal success. Uh, You know, case in point, Right now, it's the end of the month. Uh, in SHI, we are you know, monthly based in terms of how we roll up our numbers. And there's a lot of big manufacturer year ends or quarter ends and half ends and things like that. But you know, my business is pretty much up and good for everything in July. But I made it intentional to say, no, on Monday and Tuesday next week, I'm really going to focus on connecting with these certain individuals that I haven't talked to in a little bit or that I want to give some extra time and attention to and and start a better cadence with so that we can help move the needle specifically in those areas. So I think my my time management really is just all about never exiting the week without some sort of an understanding of what my goals for the next week are. Whether I have one goal or five goals, I and very prescriptive about what I like to do and how I like to do those things. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think, so I heard two big things. I heard, uh, finish the day, be strategic about how you plan your, your next upcoming week. And then, and then blocking things on your calendar and being committed to those things blocked in our calendar. Cause I think we can, we can all get so sucked up into the urgent things versus the important things. Um, over the course of a day, Phil, how do you, how do you measure? So let's say that it's, it's, you know, Friday, you've, uh, at the end of the day, Friday, you've kind of summarized out what you need to get accomplished the following week. And then Monday happens and emergencies happen and everything else. Like, how do you, how do you then go back and reassess kind of where you're at and where you need to be? Something I'm continuously working on. Uh, I'm just as human as the next person here. And sure. I have my moments where maybe I treat something urgent that isn't. Um, however, the way that I organize things, actually, I, I radically shifted my calendar management and my inbox management, uh, largely for what you guys have, have talked about throughout you know, various episodes. Um, with traveling and with being customer facing and then doing other workshops or training, I, I do a couple of things. Number Number one, I really try and be diligent about keeping what my upcoming out of office time is going to be uh, in my signature line. And I do that so that my customers know, hey, if I'm going to be out of pocket doing something on the other half of the job, it's going to be a little bit slower response time. Um, 
that's on the customer facing side, but it also applies to how I work with you know, newer reps and my management. So I think the overarching theme there is just I, I try and be a little bit more proactive in my own communication about what my schedule is going to look like. That way I'm not so reactive and I can execute on the things that I can. But ultimately, we aren't performing any sort of life-saving, you know, open heart surgery on the table and things can wait. It is okay. Yeah. And under understanding what is priority and doing that quick scan of the inbox before just tackling one thing after the other and, and not fully committing to how you're going to respond in either an email or a call or whatever it is. Um, those, those are real big points for me is just making sure I understand, Hey, this isn't the end of the world. Let me understand what is priority in here. Let me check in with the people that I need to check in with in order to make sure I understand where they need help or need my action or decision made immediately. And my, my other running joke uh, with my wonderful inside sales partner, who is my rock. I, we work very, very well together and love working with her. Um, she knows and my joke with her is, you know, if it's urgent enough, you'll figure out a way to get in contact with me. There's yeah. any number of different ways, text message, and I, again, that's something I keep in my signature line. Like, hey, if it's super urgent, text me. I'll at least see it. I can tell you, like I've got programmed little uh, responses on my Apple Watch here. Like I'm in a meeting, I'll call you back in one hour or whatever it is. Um, I kind of went through and did some of those things just so that I could at least acknowledge a response. And I'll leave that with saying one other item that uh, Heather, it's her name, Heather and I do is, we set expectations up front with our customers and we ask what their expectations are. So on the customer facing side of it, you can get a very reactive request, but there might be, you know, eight to 50 different things that you need more information on in order to be accurate. So we have established uh, service level agreements, SLAs with our clients that we will acknowledge a request within one hour and we will respond to the nature of that request with an update in four hours and establish what the next steps are dependent upon whatever the project is. That way, everyone kind of has an idea of, hey, this could take 48 hours to get back around because of these things. Is that going to work for you, Mr. Customer? Because if not, I got to give you something different. And if it does, great. We can work on it in a different fashion and shift our priorities accordingly. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. I love the expectation setting. And it's... Um it's something you can uh, continue to mold and work on. And I'm sure you know the personalities of your top customers as well and kind of what their expectations are. We talk, we've probably done, Bobby, I don't know, uh, half a dozen episodes on stretch projects and assignments and the the benefit of that for your career long-term. So Phil, doing this, you know, kudos to you because getting tapped on the shoulder to do something like this is a really big deal. It will do nothing but help your your career at SHI. Um, that said, you're doing two jobs though. So that's gotta be hard and you've got to be successful and you got to hit your quota as an individual contributor too. How, what are there two or three things that you look at your current job as a, as a sales leader and account executive that are kind of non-negotiable to you? Like if, like, for example, you're coaching someone all day long, you know, are part of the day long, you've got several folks that you're working with, you got three hours to work on your core business, your day job. Like, what are those three to four or five things that you that you know you've got to get done? Absolutely. And probably one of my favorite questions to answer because it's it's pretty simple. And it's back to what I was talking about earlier around how I set up my weeks is 
the, the things that are non-negotiables to me are understanding what my week looks like. If it's looking kind of empty, how do I fill that up? Who do I need to fill that up with? What am I doing activity-wise? And, and the phrase that I like to use is, um, how, how do I create a functional meeting with a customer? And functional meeting to me really is about either identifying an opportunity, holding a quarterly business review or an annual business review, um, moving, moving something forward from a project-based perspective where there's going to be a, a good return on time investment from not only me and the business partner resources that I bring in with me to co-sell with me and help, uh, but also from the customer perspective. So I, I calendar management is my, my number one item. Um, I'm pretty meticulous in terms of my time management in the mornings. And again, I got to give you guys kudos where, where they're due. The, I had not learned about the concept of the golden hour uh, prior to hearing you guys talk about it. And I have certain activities in the morning that I do that are essentially non-negotiable, but they're just the, the, the way that I understand what's happening. So, you know, every morning I just read a quick summary of what business has been transacted the previous day, compare it to what things I need to follow up on that haven't come in or that, you know, I need to develop a next step from. And then that leads me into where I take that next step. I personally do my best work in the mornings, um, but that's, that's really my only opportunity in essence, because, you know, come the, the normal workday hours, I'm usually hit up by anywhere from 15 to 20 or so different Skype messages or WebEx teams or Slack or whatever it is. Uh, and so many requests that my head starts to spin and I have to then kind of reshuffle things. But I, I think back to a phrase that my father told me growing up uh, consistently, which is to control the controllables. If yeah. I know this week I'm going to be customer facing, I'm going to line up the activity to be customer facing. And it's really been a blessing with this job is that this role has allowed me to essentially work with my customers so they understand what my availability is. And, and they are much more respectful of my time and the time we spend together, therefore, is full of quality and nothing is, is really missed uh, when we do get the time together. So that's all good stuff, Phil. As you coach sit reps and you, you are a rep and you see other reps around you, and you, I'm sure you see partner, you know, vendor reps that you work with, et cetera. Normally we like we talk about average being the enemy on our show. We, we are hopefully teaching people how to be above average and just not to be average. What are some of the characteristics that, that you think reps should be doing or vendor reps or anybody that wants to talk to a customer and sell them something should be doing to be above average. What, what makes a great account executive in your, in your opinion? In my opinion, there's a lot of things. I think the number one thing comes down to listening. If you are able to gain an audience with a decision maker, whoever, are you actively listening to what that person's day is like? And are you asking insightful questions to try and understand and put yourself in their shoes to try and empathize a little bit? So listening is, is the number one thing I think I see sellers go above and beyond with. Um, now, everyone is different. And I think there's a couple other little qualities here and there. But uh, the other one that I'll mention is you know, you have to be selfish with your time. And when you're working, you're working. And when you're out of office, be out of office. If you've got that time set aside, take it. Don't be 
stuck back in work because that time is yours and people are respectful of that. So I think kind of a twofold answer there, but, but really just, just the component of listening to what's going on with a customer and how things are working. That's the, that's the foundation before we can start to even try to sell anything or recommend a product or process improvement, whatever it is. We have to understand how a customer operates, and that can only be achieved through listening. No doubt. So I'm going to ask another question, then I, maybe Brian asks one more. We'll go through a few rapid questions and rapid-fire questions, and then we'll wrap up. I guess my last question, I'll be a little selfish with my time. What, what is one or two things you've learned from the tech sales show that have changed the way you either sell or go about your productivity during a given day? So... I think one of the things you guys might not have said it directly, but it's in, in the spirit of calendar management. Um, I've had a very difficult time as I would imagine a lot of sellers who listen to the show, they probably experienced the same thing, but um, saying no to certain things throughout my day, that has been probably a challenge that I've figured out how to do better from listening to you guys and being intentional with my time and knowing what that looks like so I can take time for myself, my family, the things that bring me fulfillment in life. You know, I'm a, I, I love to work out. Uh, my wife is very active as well. So we like to work out together and um, I'm a guitar player. I, I meditate, I journal, I do a bunch of different things, but, but mainly it's, I think saying no from all the stimulus that we get on a day-to-day basis that we think we just have to react to or that we have to answer that email at 10 p.m. at night or whatever it is. There are certain delineations and cutoff points that I've learned from listening to you guys that are completely okay. And that's actually probably a best practice because if you're just working yourself into the ground, what really, what, what are you really doing to experience life? Yeah, I like that a lot. Phil, you, uh, you talked about <clears throat> when you got started in the morning, um, that you're reading and getting up to speed, what kind of, uh, you know, one of the common questions that we get and people like to know, like what, what articles are you reading? Is it through LinkedIn or is it through Twitter? What, what's, what's the medium and then what's the uh, subject matter? Oh man, it varies. I am trying to be better at reading consistently. Uh, one of my coworkers actually told me he's like just 10 pages a day of something. I'm like, that's such a great idea. But yeah. uh, in the morning, in the morning, I actually, the first thing I, I typically do is, uh, is meditate for five minutes um, just to set my intention and kind of accept what's going to come through on the day and try and go ev- into everything with a positive intent and a positive attitude. Uh, Cause that's one of the only things that I can really control about myself. Um, from there, I typically will put on some music and it's, it's just kind of like drone out music in the back. Um, often it's the tech sales show that I put on. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, (laughs) um, nah, I had to, I had to throw that one in there, but realistically I, I do read uh, a quick like LinkedIn summary. You know, they do those ones in the morning, the, the quick rundown. Um, I read Google alerts about my clients or technologies that I follow. Uh, I, I think that's the best practice for anyone listening on the show is to, Definitely put some Google alerts out there on your clients uh, or anything that's of interest up to you. And I, I read, um, there's a, a website called Daily Ohm, D-A-I-L-Y-O-M. And there's some really just good in 
messaging that that website offers from a free newsletter perspective about different ways to be intentional throughout your day and to be going into situations without creating tension and creating anxiety and creating the stress that we don't really need to create that we do ourselves. So I, I, that's what I usually read throughout the morning is just little hints, blurbs, stuff like that. Sometimes Apple news, you know, something strikes me, the world's pretty depressing a lot of the time in those articles though. So I try and find something that I, that I enjoy reading. It's like the clickbait that never stops. One more article to get you um, to click it. it. It really is. And I'm, I'm more interested in like, man, what's that new cool thing that's happening and what's that new product that I see that, you know, whether it's like, I'm a big fan. It's kind of nerdy to say, but I love reading. Uh, the SHI blog post is really great. I read CRN pretty frequently uh, just to see what people are doing. And I, I keep a pretty close beat on a lot of the cool vendors that they they come out with just to see how the tech landscape is, is shaping and evolving because, I mean, I find it interesting. I'm a technophile myself. And, you know, when I'm not, I guess, you know, reading those things, I'm probably reading product reviews and descriptions on Amazon.com or something that I'm trying to buy for the house or you know, even in my personal life. <laughs> nice. couple short questions, rapid fire kind of things, and then we'll wrap up, Phil. I guess what's one thing you wish you would have learned earlier in your career that you know now? Wow. I love this question because it is, I, I, I get to answer it a lot and my answer doesn't change too frequently, but um, I think people are naturally inclined to want to make a name for themselves whenever they start doing any sort of role, whether it's a, you know, a, a sales job or, you know, a, you know, a finance job, whatever it is, people want to make a name for themselves instead of, asking what are the best ways for me to do this? How should I best learn? What tactics should I you know, deploy that are in my arsenal? I, I think if I had trusted my original manager way back in the day about, you know, hey, I was, I was just adamantly against dropping something off to a client and just being that cold and you know, saying, hey, I'm going to bring this you know, company some coffee with a handwritten note and that doesn't, that sounds stupid to me. Like, I don't think that's, you know, worth my time. Uh, but my sales manager at the time said, okay, well, you've done all your researching on the internet and found out all these things. You've tried doing tons of LinkedIn messages. You've tried doing emails, doing cold calls, doing whatever you can. What else, what, what's the harm in this? And if I had taken that to heart, literally the, the first one I did, I got like three dormant prospect responses. And I'll never forget that because it, it taught me that my management and my, you know, co-selling partners have a vested interest in, in working with me versus only inspecting and measuring the activity that I come up with. My favorite thing to, to tell people is, you know what, let's look at a situation. Let's put a plan together. Try it. If it doesn't work, we'll alter the plan. We'll scrap the plan. We'll develop a new one, whatever it is like. Let's just figure it out together. And if I had leaned on more people to support me and, and taken best practices from other people sooner, I think I would have found success a lot sooner. Nice, nice. One last thing. You mentioned the book, Find Your Way. Any other books that you gift other sellers or people that want to get into tech sales that, that our listeners might be interested in? You know, I don't usually give a bunch of books like that. Um, I think 
like I said earlier, you know, the reading thing is, a, is not a strong suit for me, but I encourage people to pick up a couple of books. Um, the most recent one was actually given to me by a, a good friend of mine. Uh, and she, it's uh, 12, The Twelve Rules for Life by uh, Jordan. God, what's his last name? Peterson. I think Jordan Peterson. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Um, yep. Yeah. Like, it, but the thing is with those books, like, I think just with anything, these are other people's perspectives and stories of, of their lives. If you can take one or two things from it, you know, like my big one from the 12 rules was stop wasting my gifts and my talents. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm not doing the things that I'm good at doing, and if I'm occupying time with other things that are really not beneficial to my life, why am I doing that? I'm not taking full advantage of what I have. So I, I would encourage everyone to, you know, give that a read. Um, it's a little wordy at some points, but overall, I, I, I did like it and think there's some really good messages in there. Yeah, it's a great book. You don't have to agree with its politics uh, to appreciate the writing. And yes, it is a little bit wordy, but it is a great book. It's one of my favorites from last year for sure. Yeah, boy, he can tell a story about anything. That can go on and on. But oh, yeah. I, he's got a good podcast oh, yeah. as well. I don't, I don't want the listeners not listen to our podcast, but there's some pretty good pods out there of him. But <laughs> man, you got to be ready to listen to some explanations because he goes deep. Well, I appreciate you taking time, Phil. I know this is another hour out of your day that you probably could have been doing other things and said no to. So we appreciate you saying yes. I'm sure our listeners do. Um, we get often requested, how, how do we find you, Phil? How do we reach out to you? Uh, any suggestions on how people can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Phil Maroney, M-O-R-O-N-I, or you can uh, just drop me a line on my corporate email, which is Phil underscore Maroney at S-H-I, that's SamHotelIndigo.com. And happy to respond as quickly as I can. It might take just a little bit, but um, it kind of makes me think back to how I started talking with you guys. Is I, I found your podcast through a, a buddy of mine, Phil Wilhelm, who you guys have known for a long time. And I just reached out and I'd love to talk to you guys. And we reached out and here we are. So long time coming, but please, by all means, I, I, I love helping people and I love seeing other people succeed and, if I can make a marginal impact on somebody's life or give them a different perspective and they find it valuable, that's probably one of my favorite things to do. Awesome. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Hopefully your inbox will be flooded with requests and you'll find them make some great mentor relationships with other people across the country and across the world. Again, we thank you for listening. As always, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.